morning, good morning. If you got your Bibles, we in Proverbs chapter 24. Proverbs 24, verse 21. 24, 21. We get there, let us pray. Father God, in the name of Jesus, God, we thank you, God, for being God and just for allowing us to even think about you, God, the great love you show us, God, help us never to take it for granted, but to always be grateful, God, we thank you, we love you, help us to focus on you, to learn of you, God, come work inside of our hearts to change us, to look like you, to live like you, to live for you, in Jesus' name we pray, amen. Proverbs 24, chapter 21. We're continuing in the words of the wise here in Proverbs. And here he goes still talking to his son and instructing him in the way of wisdom. So verse 21 said, my son, fear thou the Lord and the king and meddle not with them that are given to change. For their calamity shall rise suddenly and who knoweth the ruin of them both. So we got the what and we got the why. Verse 21 is the what we're supposed to do. So he said, fear the Lord, have fear of God and the king. And that meddle not with them that are given to change. To meddle not is to get mixed up with. So don't get mixed up with or don't join in with people who wants to overthrow. That's what he means, to meddle to change. They, they always want to overturn stuff. They always, they're just rebellious people. Like, so don't get mixed up with the people who are always trying to overthrow, who are always in a rebellious mode. They're always just seeking to tear down things. Like, don't fear God and fear the king. And one of the ways to do that is not get mixed up with those type of people. And the why in verse 22 is said, because their calamity shall rise suddenly. So their downfall or their destruction going to suddenly come. And don't nobody know how great the destruction or the ruin of them will be. So if you join in with them, the destruction, the punishment that's going to come upon them, you will be a part of it. So we don't get mixed up when people who want to overthrow. And this creates a question for us that we have to think about and pray about. Is it ever right to go against the people in authority? Is it ever right to seek to overthrow a government? Because here he told us, don't get mixed up with it. And this is something that we have to think about and pray about. But it also gives us pause that just because a call seemed just don't mean we should be quick to run in with it and get mixed up with the crowd. But it's something we have to pray about. Is it ever okay? I was thinking about this guy, this old preacher back during World War II. His name Dietrich Bonhoeffer. And it's when Hitler rose to power and Hitler was tearing over the churches and sending people in jail for refusing to condone his state religion. And there was a group of people that came together and they got a plot to kill Hitler. And they come to this preacher. He was a prominent preacher in the place. And they involved him in the plot. And he had a struggle. And it's the way his mind was going, if this man seeks to destroy the people of God, he's an enemy to the church of God. So am I doing more wrong if I sit back and allow this evil to continue? Or am I doing more wrong by killing this evil man. And it was something he was conflicted with. Like which one should I do? 
And history shows us that he made the choice to go along with the plot. He got caught and revealed and ended up being thrown into prison and killed for his actions. But he said he died in all peace in the letters that he left because he felt that his heart was in the manner of righteousness and serving God. But these are one of the things that create that angst and that pause. Like we don't be quick to go against. We don't be quick to get caught up in the crowd and just rah-rah and tear it down, fighting against the man. But it's something we do need to contemplate and with prayer to consider how we respond to evil. And that's something that we're going to talk about further as we go. 23. That these things belong also to the wise. And it is not good to have respect of, respect of persons in the judgment. So these more words of the wise. So when you're in judgment, when you make a, de- a decision, when you're interacting between people, it's not good to have respect of persons. And that's another way of saying have favorites. We don't show favoritism or we don't show partiality in judgment. We try our best through the grace of God to treat everybody the same. And we don't corrupt justice in the favor of somebody else. That's mainly what he's talking about. So when you got a friend that's your friend and they did it wrong and you have the ability to do something in this situation, you don't lessen your response just because it's your friend, uh, just because they look the same as you do or any of those other things. It's like that's something we do not do. 24, and it's going in that same thought and that same idea. He that said to the wicked, thou art righteous, him shall the people curse and nations shall abhor him. So if you see a wicked man and because he your friend or because he your favorite celebrity or because he look like you and you declare that what he's doing is righteous, like you a person that people are going to curse. Nations will rise against you. And he's speaking now to you being in a, point, a position of authority. If you're justifying wickedness, if you're allowing evil to go on and because of any other relationship, you condone it. People will hate you because of it. And this is something we have to be conscious of in 25. And he gives us the response of how do we respond? Said, but to them that rebuke him shall be delight and a good blessing shall come upon them. So if you see somebody doing evil and you're in a position to do something about it, if you rebuke them, if you correct them for their wrong, then blessings will come upon you. But if you condone their evil, if you declare them to be righteous, the earlier proverb told us God even hates that. So y'all understand that. So if you got a position to do something, no matter what it is, if somebody wrong, tell them they're wrong and correct them in their wrong. Don't allow them to continue in their wrong just because of favoritism or because they look like you, because they're your friend or any other thing. In 26, he ends this same thought. Every man shall kiss the lips that give it the right answer. So if you're the one that responds correctly, Everybody gonna love you and adore you, draw near unto you. And that's that willingness to correct the wrong. No matter who it is, no matter what the position is, we should be the people to correct it. Verse 27, prepare thy work without and make it fit for thyself in the field and afterwards build thy house. This is what we're supposed to do. Prepare your work without. That means you get things ready outside. So just think about yourself about to adorn your house, about to work on the project in your house. He's saying before you get started on it, set things straight outside. So picture yourself laying everything out outside first. And we make it fittingless to get it everything right. So you go through everything. You completely go through the plan. You lay everything out before you. Then start to build. 
And it's the idea of doing the prep work first. Go through preparations. Make sure everything is in alignment. Make sure everything is what it's supposed to be before you go into an activity. We don't just rush into something. Jesus said the same thing talking about salvation. It's like before man go to war, first count your soldiers and see if you got enough to go out there and fight. Before you build a house, count the cost and see if you got enough to, to, to meet it. And that's what he's saying here. Before you get to building, lay everything out. Get it all together. And one of the easiest places to see if you ever bought like one of them little desks from Walmart, them little Ikea type little things that got all the little pieces in the knobs. If you ever bought a defective one, it can be frustrating because we just pull it and get to work, especially most men folk. And you just go through and you're doing the things and you get to the end and you realize you're missing some pieces. <laughs> That's not good. And you realize you just spent two hours wrestling with this thing and realize you're missing some pieces. And now you got to break it all the way down, put it back in the box and take it back. And what he's saying is, lay it all out before. Get it prepared beforehand. And that's about life. You get some desires and some stuff you want to do in life. Get, line it up. Go through it. Get your plan together. Then begin to build. In 28, he said, be not a witness against thy neighbor without a cause and deceive not with the lips. That be not a witness is to speak against. So don't speak against your neighbor. Don't come up and have something to say about your neighbor without just reason. Be justified when you speak against your neighbor. Don't just be saying stuff. And he said, do not deceive with the lips. And when you do say something, don't lie. So when you speak against your neighbor, have a reason for why you're talking. And when you do talk, don't lie. And this is something we need to be conscious of because it's easy to get caught up. You know, you have them folks who come to you and they get to talking. And they're talking about somebody. And you know some stuff about somebody. And it's easy just to join in and say the little bit you know, just to have a part to play in the conversation. And what he's saying is, don't testify, don't speak against, don't say nothing about your neighbor unless you have a reason to. And just joining in the conversation is not a reason to. And when you do say it, don't tell no lies. Say not, I will do so to him. And it's going down in that same vein. Say not, I will do so to him. As he hath done to me, I will render to them, to the man according to his works. And this is in this relationship with neighbor, when you're dealing with neighbor. It's like, don't come into the, this thought in your mind that I'm going to treat them the way that they treated me. And just like, if, for example, he spoke against me, I'm going to do to him. Do not do that. So you don't try to pay people back. You don't try to get people back. And what if somebody lied on you and you in a position that you can get them back? Like, don't do it. Don't take advantage and try to mistreat somebody else just because they mistreated you. We don't repay evil for evil is the way that Jesus said. Verse 30. I went by the field. This is closing story. It takes an observation. So I went by the field of the slothful. And by the vineyard of the man void of understanding. And lo, it was all overgrown, and thorns and nettles had covered the face thereof, and the stone there wall thereof was broken down. So this is he going on a journey. See, so passed by this slothful man, this lazy man, 
It's man who refuses to work and man who refuses to do what needs to be done when it needs to be done. And just think about the picture. Because so far, every time we talked about the slothful man and lazy man, the example being he comes to ruin. He becomes poor. But here, this slothful man, he has some stuff. He has some land. He has some vineyard. That's a business. He has responsibility over something. But it's like when I went by his land, it was all overgrown. Weeds growing up. The walls around it. The fence was all torn down. It's like I watched this and he said, I learned from it. In verse 31, I mean 32, he, he tell you what he learned. He said, then I saw and considered it well. I looked upon it and I received instruction. So I paid attention to it and I got instructed by it. It taught me something. And what did it teach me? Yet a little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to sleep. So shall thy poverty come as one that traveleth, and thy want as an armed man. And so the end result, he said, I learned from this, is that the more you rest, the more you sit back, the more you allow yourself to enjoy leisure, you guarantee poverty to show up. He said, your want going to come, that's your lack going to come like one that's traveling, like a beggar. Just like a beggar going to show up, he going to be out there, your poverty going to show up. And even greater than the beggar coming asking for your stuff, he said, it's going to come like an armed man. going to come like somebody ready to rob you. And there's nothing you can do about it. If you allow yourself to get caught up in this leisure, in this lax, in this sleep, in this slumbers, do not be lazy. He's saying, this is the lesson I learned. And in this lesson, he shows us and ties us back to chapter 3. And he's giving us this same voice to let us know that this is a united thing. And this is a quotation. And we can read this as in the son himself is now learning. And he has now been elevated to a place where the lessons that he was taught, he's singing them in real life. And that the, the instructions that he was given as he go through his day to day, he see them. And this is a reminder. And it's the same thing with us. We need to be reminded of the lessons that we are taught and allow them to speak to us as we go by the way. But the warning he hears, do not be lazy. Don't be lax and don't allow yourself to get into a place of slumber where you enjoy sleep. Because the end result is poverty, destruction, ruin. He had something that could be beneficial to him. But it was destroyed because of his lack of work. Chapter 25. We're transitioning. And here we meet the title of this section. In verse 1 of chapter 25. It said. These are also the Proverbs of Solomon. Which the men of Hezekiah. King of Judah copied out. So what this collection we're about to see. From 25 through 29. Are Proverbs. That Solomon spake. And the, the, the men of Hezekiah, who was king of Judah, they discovered them and copied them out. So these are things that they they wrote. That the, the workers of Hezekiah wrote these things down, but they refer to them as being the Proverbs of Solomon. And that's what we have here. So what we got, Solomon may have spoken them, but it doesn't necessarily mean he wrote it. The men of Judah copied these things down. They probably was in a kingly ledger. The folks just dictating Solomon dictated and they discovered them and put them in a collection. So these proverbs were collected by the, the men of Hezekiah. And the first set speaks more so about kingliness than, than the rest of them. In verse 2, it says, It is the glory of God to conceal a thing, but the honor of kings is to search it out. So there's honor to God. God gives radiance by his ability to create something that's shrouded in mystery. 
That's what he means by that, to conceal it. So God can set something up that cannot be easily discovered. And that's his glory. That he's that wise and that he's that great that he can put something and set something up that is just not easily seen. And we, we see life, we see that. And sometimes we have these questions where we think, like, why didn't God make that more plain? Like, if God want everybody to know this, why he just, just ain't make this a whole lot easier for us to understand? Here, Solomon tells us that it's the glory of God to conceal a matter. But he asks on the reverses that it's the honor of kings to search it out. So we see the idea of what God has crowned us with something, and that's our intellect. And we have a responsibility and there's an honor to him and his glory to us if we can use that to discover the things that he has hidden. So there's honor in us and there's glory for us when we use our mind to search out, to discover, to, to, to find the hidden mysteries of God and to have them unveiled to us. So God on one hand is so great and so mysterious that he can hide the things that should be easily known. But he gives us the ability to find them out was to me let us know we can't be lazy and we have to be willing to use our mind we have to be willing to go on a search we have to be willing to go on the journey because there's deep mysteries in life and they belong to god and but it's a glory to us to be able to discover them to find them out y'all understand that so don't be lazy with your mind verse three the heaven for height and the earth for depth and the heart of kings is unsearchable so just like we can't figure out how high the heavens are and it is almost what it really is. We can't truly figure out the depth of the earth. It's like the heart of a king. Nobody can truly search that out. So there's some things in us that's beyond our ability to know is what he's getting. And the heart of a king, the heart of a man is one of those things. We can never truly discover it all. This is one of the great mysteries that we have in life. Verse 4, take away the dross from silver and there shall come forth a vessel for the finer. Go ahead. Yes, that's what he's talking about here. So the, the person of authority, the depth of his heart, don't think that you can truly understand it. And just put it, to, to, to help you see it. Uh, we've all dealt with it. If you worked for anybody before, and it's the complaint of every frontline worker, that these people making these decisions and we have to deal with them and they, and they don't even consult with us and think about it. And one of the mysteries of a person that's under a person of authority is why they do what they do. Like, how do they come to the decisions they make? Or what's really going on inside of them? And he's saying, the heart of that person, you can never truly know it. And so it's one of those unsearchable things. So you can see yourself as being a subject and King making decisions, king making principles, making laws that you have to deal with. It's like one thing you won't ever be able to truly do is grasp everything inside of them. Their heart is unsearchable. So all the influences, all the thoughts, all the nuances or what goes into the decisions they make, you won't understand them. Because there's such complexity in the heart of the king that is it's like trying to search and find the depths of the, 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 the earth. You understand? No, that's just because it's his heart and you're not in that position. You're not who he is and you'll never be able to truly understand it. It's just, you could take it, the idea of like you and your daughter. 
There are some decisions you make. There are some things that you put upon her that she just can't grasp. And it seems like utter nonsense and foolishness to her. And that's because she don't know all of the things that's in you, all of the experiences that you have, all of the things that you know about life that she don't comprehend, and all of the things that you can understand about the future and where she and where you plan to take the family that she can never even thought about that influences the decisions that you make. So you can tell her I'm doing this for you, but she won't grasp that. Because it's all of these other things that go on in your heart that she can never fully understand. In verse 4, it said, take away the dross from the silver and there shall come forth a vessel for the finer. So if you got silver and you want it to be something fit for the finer is, is the one who crafts it for jewelry. So if you want silver to be good or fit for jewelry, you have to take away the dross. The dross is all the impurities in it. So there's some stuff that get caught up inside of silver that should not be there that makes it unfit for the beauty of it. And if you want the true beauty to come, you have to remove all those impurities out of it. That's what you get a vessel for. And he used this as an example, as one principle. And he gives us an example of how it applies in verse 5. It said, take away the wicked from the king and his throne shall be established from righteousness. So if you want a king to flourish and to truly be a great king, take away the wicked from him. And here the way it's set up is talking about the wicked influences are those around him, those in his court that are evil. So if you remove them, you allow the king to move and operate in righteousness. Just like when you move the impurities, you allow the silver to be fit to be a beautiful piece of jewelry. And this is something that we can take principle and the metaphor apply to us. That if we want ourselves to tr truly flourish in righteousness, there are some things that contaminate us that have to be removed. And if a king can be influenced by the wickedness around him that can corrupt his ability to rule justly, what about us who don't have the authority and the power of a king? When we think about our friends, when we think about those who we connect to, if we're surrounded by wickedness, our righteousness won't truly shine because there's a dross, there's evils, there's impurities that can take away from the beauty of the thing. So if it can work for a king, will it work for me? Yeah. So remove yourself and don't allow the influences or the impurities of evil to, to impact us. And that will allow our righteousness to shine, our throne to be established in righteousness. Verse 6, put not forth thyself in the presence of the king, and stand not in the place of great men. So six and seven go together. Put not forth thyself in the presence of the king. And stand not in the place of great men. So if you see a pure person of authority. Or you allow. If you've been given the opportunity. To be in the midst of great people. He's saying. Don't just put yourself up there. Don't just. Throw up and, and go up. If you come into the palace. Don't sit right next to the king. Why? In verse 7 said, because it is better that it be said unto thee, come up here then thou should be this put Lord in the presence of the prince whom thine eyes have seen. So he's saying if you go in and if you have these opportunities take the Lord's seat because it's better for them to tell you, oh no, you need to be up here. 
Then for you to be up there, I'm going to tell you, nah, you got to move. And you get embarrassed in front of everybody. And Jesus taught the same thing. Like when you enter into the synagogue and you enter into places, don't take the chief seats. It's the same lesson Jesus taught. Like don't put yourself, don't go into the front places. But allow them to pull you in. And this is something we need to navigate and understand about life. It's just when you go, when you have places, you could be somebody great. And you could be somebody that has some legitimate to say. But don't always throw yourself out there. Allow yourself to be brought in. So if you enter in and you with the great bishops and all these, don't just go up. Come up because you might get embarrassed. That's basically what he's saying. Don't don't embarrass yourself by them make, putting you down because you think you're supposed to be somewhere where they don't agree with you. <laughs> Say, go not forth hastily to strive. Least thou know not what to do in the end thereof when thy neighbor hath put thee to shame. So don't get in a hurry to fight. Don't get in a hurry to argue with somebody. Don't get in a hurry to these. This could even take in, in, in litigation as in suing somebody. Like don't hurry up to do that. Don't be quick to start an argument. Why? Because for fear of, because it might happen that when it all comes to an end and your neighbor respond to you, he might put you to shame. So don't be quick to respond, to, to, to call somebody wrong, to go after somebody. Let it sit for a minute. Think it all the way through because you might not fully understand the full picture. And you might start a fight that you don't have the ability to complete. And this is going down the same vein in verse 9. Debate thy cause with thy neighbor himself and discover not a secret to another person. So when somebody did something to you in confidence, when somebody did something to you in private, or you got angst against somebody, he's saying, go with that person secretly or in private. So you and that person, y'all talk one-on-one. And don't go around telling the secrets to everybody. That's what. So if somebody do you wrong, or if you see something ill in somebody, go to the person one-on-one. And he even used the word debate. That means y'all can go up and go, y'all can deal with it. Argue, make your point, make your case, say what you have to say, but do it privately. And he said, do not reveal the secret to another. And it's just to putting the business out there in the street and just blaming and just talking about it openly everywhere. Like, don't do that. And he adds to this in verse 10 and tell us why. He said, at least he that heareth it put thee to shame and thy infamy turn not away. Now, this is a, a, a funny little proverb the way it is written. And it's what can happen if you go around telling the secrets and you got an angst against somebody. It can get out. And the person hear it can come and respond and correct you in a manner that, that shames you, make you look bad. In the way that word put thee to shame and what it, the literal meaning of it is drop the head. And it can be taken in one or two ways. It could be that you go out there and you blast this person and you put all their business out in the street and you describe them as a type of person. And when they get out to them, they respond in such humility to make you look like a fool and an evil man. Or it could be that they respond in a right manner and they respond in a manner that can expose you as a fraud and you have to drop your head. You be the one put to shame. 
And it's the picture of you blasting somebody, but when the word make it to them, their response make you look bad. Or just the spreading of it makes you look bad. And we all connected with that person that the folks tearing people down and talking bad about them. And the thought that popped in your mind is, did they talk about them like this? What the world they say about me? <laughs> and where you think you're exposing somebody, but truly who you are exposing is yourself. And shame will come upon you. I'm talking about foul, low down. And these are all of the things that he's saying. And the thing he left it open that way on, on purpose. That the shame can come to you when you out there spreading people business instead of taking it one-on-one and dealing with that person and being willing to conceal the secrets. Verse 11 said, A word fitly spoken is like apples of gold and pictures of silver. So when you say the right things at the right times in the right manner, it's a beautiful thing is basically what he's saying. It's like apples of gold in frames of silver. So you got silver frames with gold pictures or gold apples inside of it. He's like, it's, you see that and you see beauty in it. That's how it is when you say, the, when you can say the right words at the right time in the right manner. So there's a beauty to being able to speak and speak rightly. Verse 12, as earrings of gold and an ornament of fine gold, so is a wise reprover and upon an obedient ear. So he gives us a little more depth to what this right words is. So like earrings of gold. So you got beautiful jewelry. Ornaments of gold. That could be necklace and hangings. If you correct somebody in a wise manner. And they're an obedient person. They're somebody that's willing to listen. This is a beautiful thing. So always. Saying the right thing in the right manner. Is not always saying the nice thing. You're not being an evil person if you tell somebody you are wrong. But there's a way to say it in a manner where they can hear it and that's where the true beauty is. It's okay to tell people they're wrong. It's okay to tell people they did wrong, to tell people they're bad, to tell people all that type of stuff. That's not saying the right thing. But when you rebuke a person and they're, and they're in a position to hear it, that's where the beauty is. Verse 13, you're talking about our words and our mouth. As the cold of snow in the time of harvest, so is a faithful messenger to them that send him, for he refreshes the soul of his masters. So he's giving us a lot of metaphors. So think about it being out hot and you out there working in a valley. In the melting of the snow and a cool breeze catches that and blow it down your way. Like just as refreshing as that is, in the summertime. That's what it's like. When you send a messenger. A faithful messenger. So when you got somebody. Who you can trust. And you send them to do a work. To do something for you. There's a refreshment that comes from that. Just like there's a refreshment that comes from the snow. Being blown down. And producing that cool breeze. When you out there in the midst of the heat working. Verse 14, whoso boasted himself of a false gift is like clouds and winds without rain. So what's a gift? You remember? A bribe, something being given. When you, when you, when you pass for something. Uh, when you, you're giving somebody. So here when you're saying a person that boasts of a false gift, they saying they got something for you. 
but they don't. Hey, Sam, oh, Miss Maddie, just, just call me. I'm going to help you out. I'm gonna, I got the stuff. I'm going to look out for you. I got it. Like the person who's saying that in their line, they like clouds, the big dark clouds, but don't no rain come. They just putting on. And it's something you can't trust in. You know, you see them time like, man, it's in the rain today. And it be like that all day and don't nothing happen. And he's like, that's what it's like when a person boasting to you. They bragging to you. I'm going to get you. Just call me, girl. Whatever you need, I got you. And I'm going to be there for you. Then they ain't got it. <laughs> it's just like walking out seeing them big clouds. It might even be a little lightning and thunder going on. You're like, man, they finna throw down. And don't nothing happen. You done change your whole day. You done, I ain't going to the store. I ain't going to see nobody. I don't want to get caught out there in that rain. And don't nothing happen. Same thing, when you depend on that person, they tell you, I got you, and I'm going to do this for you, and, them, and you ain't got to worry about none of that. You ain't got, don't, uh-uh, see, you stressed. Don't cook, because I'm going to bring it. No, they lying. <laughs> Verse 15 said, by long forbearing is a prince persuaded, and a soft tongue breaketh the bone. That's deep. So if you can abide and you can stay patient for a long time, people who are in authority can be moved by that. Your patience and your ability to endure has the ability to influence. It has the ability to persuade. So people can be impacted by your patience. And it can impact the way that they respond to you. And he's saying the soft words break the bones. And what he mean by that, if you connect patience with a meekness and response, it has the ability to shatter even people in the authority. They don't know how to deal with it. So you just remain patient. You stay humble. And when they come to you in a rough and a tough manner, you speak softly. And he said that can break the bones. That can crush them in their response. Just by your willingness to abide, your willingness to endure, your willingness to put up with and to remain the same throughout the rest of it. That's something, that's a skill of life we need to learn. Because it's being really, that's a sign to me of a real true person. It's just the idea of not allowing people to change you. Because there's this thing, it connects back to not repaying evil for evil. It's this idea, it's just something that happens in life. When people treat you a certain way, you feel like you have to respond in a certain way. And you feel like I just, and there's this overwhelming push in you to do something, to make them know how you feel, to make them know that you upset, to make them know that you don't like the decisions that they make, to make them know this, and it's, it's an overwhelming, it's a compulsion almost to respond and to make them feel what you feel. And what he's saying here is if you have the ability to maintain if you have the ability to have frustration, to have angst, to have thoughts and feelings about something, but to stay on that even keel throughout, to endure it. And when opportunity comes to respond, you respond softly. That can persuade and crush a person. And it is something that we need to keep in mind when those compulsions come. When people make decisions we don't like. And the first thing is to make them know that I don't like it. 
And sometimes there's a, a sense of powerlessness in that. You don't have control of what's going on and you have to do something to try to demonstrate control. So they don't hear me and I can't do this. So I'm going to do this right here. And now they got to listen to me. No. You remain. You stay. And you be patient. And when the time comes, you can humbly express yourself. And that can bring the whole situation down. But that's a skill of life we need to pray. And allow Jesus to put in us. Help us to be patient. And to be humble. In dealing with people. Verse 16. Say, hast thou found honey? Eat so much as is sufficient for thee. So if you found honey, the good thing, the beneficial honey, say eat enough that allows you to be filled. Eat, eat that, eat just enough. Why? In the end of the verse, at least I'll be filled therewith and vomited out. So if you eat too much, it can overwhelm you and make you sick. So eat sufficient. Don't overdo it. So if you found honey, if you found a good thing, get just enough of it. Don't overdo it. And it, and it way that, another way that word can be translated is at least you become weary of it. You know what I'm saying? At least you, it just make you feel odd or make you feel angst. And it's something of over, over much feeling that can make you sick. That's the idea. That's a deep principle just, just to sit there. And he, Flip this in verse 17, and he used the same word in here to tie them together. But in our English versions, we don't catch it. In 17, he said, withdraw thy foot from thy neighbor's house, lest he be weary of thee, and so hate thee. So he's saying, if you're in a place, and if you're using your neighbor something, or if you're living with your neighbor, he's saying, pull your foot back. And the idea of leave. And the reason you do it, and the warning that he gives here, is least you, your neighbor become weary of you. And that weary, and that be filled, in the last verse talking about the honey, that's the same thing. So just like you can overfill yourself with honey, you can overwhelm your neighbor with your presence. And just like you can become sick through too much honey, your neighbor can become disturbed. You can get on the nerve. By overstaying your welcome, as the way we would say it. And it's just this idea of don't overwhelm and don't go beyond or, or, or mistreat the kindness or the openness of your neighbor. Be willing to pull back. When somebody is putting you and they're being kind and they're being nice and they're being generous to you, don't overwhelm it. Take the same principle. Do what is sufficient. Do what is needed. Do what is necessary. That makes sense to you. Don't know where out your welcome. And it's just to think about. It. And the easiest place to see this is like if somebody be kind and give you a place to stay. And it's this idea of be there and be there as needed and not have the mindset of taking advantage. And it's this, it's this place of caution. Like be there, be there as needed. Do what is sufficient for them. If you need it and they're willing, continue until you need to get the full need that you need out of it. But once you get to the place where it's not needed, don't be greedy. 
verse 18. A man that beareth false witness. So a man that beareth false witness against his neighbor is a maul. A maul is like a big hammer. A sledgehammer. A sledgehammer, I'm sorry. In verse 18, so it's like a maul, a sword, and a sharp arrow. So those are all things that can hurt. A maul is a hammer, a sword, and a sharp arrow, or something that pierces. Like that's what it's like when you bear false witness against your neighbor. And it's the idea when you're lying on somebody, you can hurt them. You're dangerous. You're something that can cause harm. Don't be going around lying on people. Like I said, people talking about words can't ever hurt me. It hurts. 19. Confidence in an unfaithful man in the time of trouble is like a broken tooth and a foot out of joint. That's deep. So if you put your trust into somebody that's not trustworthy or somebody that's not dependable, it's like somebody then chipped your tooth or you then twisted your ankle. You're hurting yourself and it's painful when you have to rely upon an unfaithful person. As he that taketh away a garment in, in cold weather, and as vinegar upon nitre, so is he that singeth songs to a heavy heart. Now this is a, 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 a heavy one. It's one you have to think about a little bit. So he's giving us this metaphor. Taking away a garment in cold weather. So just imagine somebody is freezing cold and you snatch their coat off them or you snatch the covers off them. What would happen? Frostbite, they're going to respond and jump up. And would they like you? Not necessarily. In that vinegar upon nitre, the way we would say it is pouring vinegar on baking soda. Have any of y'all ever done that before? Huh? It it creates this chemical reaction. Like I said, you can clean your drains out like that. Put a little vinegar down in your dish. And you, you garbage disposed. I mean, look, baking soda, put the vinegar in there and it creates this foam and this thing. It's like, that's what happens. So just like what happens when you pour, I mean, when you snatch somebody's coat off when they're in the cold, and when you pour vinegar upon a nighter, he says, so is he that sang his songs to a person in a heavy heart. Now, hold on, that don't seem right. All of those things produce a reaction. And you can snatch something from its regular state and alter the state of it by doing it. Now, when you sing songs to somebody that's in a heavy heart, or you bring jolly to somebody that's in a heavy heart, that can work a couple of different ways. One, somebody that's truly in a heavy place, dang trying to hear your singing. And you can produce a reaction that you ain't quite ready for. And it's this idea of you snatching them from their place where they are and you getting a response out of them. That response might not be good. That response may not be what is needed. And that response may come out after you because you might not be ready for it. That's why in the New Testament it tells us that we're supposed to weep with those who do weep. And it's the idea of when you're in the midst of somebody that's in heaviness that you feel their pain and you feel their hurt and you hurt with them. But there are times where in the cold you have to snatch the coat off somebody. And there are times where 
to get a certain response and it's beneficial for you to pour vinegar upon nitrogen. And there may be times where you can produce, pour out a song upon somebody in a heavy place. But just know it's not going to be a smooth thing. They might buck. They might react. They might tell you to go on about your way. It might make them upset. And this is a wisdom of us knowing how to navigate in these things. Or knowing when it is we're supposed to just hurt with those who hurt. And when it is, sometimes some folks will be on some stuff and it, it ain't no real hurt and it ain't no real sorrow and they just in the dumps because it's a spiritual oppression or depression and it's something you, you pull them out of it. Go ahead. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Yeah. Uh-huh. And it's some, but just understand it. It's gonna create a reaction. And don't have it in your mind that, well, such and such down. And it may not be something, it's just a spiritual thing. And, and there ain't really nothing going on for real. They just down on themselves. And I'm finna go over here and, and we're gonna praise the Lord and we're gonna sing and she's gonna be happy. Be willing that when you come and you sing and you being joyous around these person, they might respond. And it might not be the way you think. Just be prepared for that. Like I said, Jay was talking about a little bit um Friday. He's like, well, them people who all they have bad to say somebody, man, I can't stand her. Like, why? She's just so happy. <laughs> like, what, what is that to not hate somebody? I mean, not like somebody for. All we around here smiling and saying, nobody want to hear all that. <laughs> just be prepared for that. And some people, when they read this, or you listen to some commentary, some preacher, they will tell you this is a prohibition. You're only supposed to weep with those who weep. You know, it's the way he's giving you principles and wisdom, and he's setting things up for you, and you learn how to navigate. Sometimes you got to snatch the cover off the cold person because that's the way you wake them up. If you let the baby girl just sleep when she got to get up to go to school because it's cold out there, she won't move from the state that she's in. And it, sometimes it takes, like you said, that reaction and that adverse thing to create change. And that song for a heavy heart is an adverse thing that's going to create a reaction. And it could be changed for the better. Verse 21. If thy enemy be hungry, give him bread to eat. And if he be thirsty, give him water to drink. This is the what we're supposed to do. And that's deep. The enemy. Somebody who sought to hurt you or somebody who has ill intentions towards you somebody who do not like you if you find them thirsty get them water if you find them hungry feed them that's deep verse 22 he says for thou shalt heat coals of fire upon his head and the Lord shall reward thee so if you treat well your enemy Say you're going to heat coals of fire upon their head. Now that is a, an expression that I really couldn't figure out exactly the depths of it. Because the idiom is not one that, that, that lasted past at least the time of Paul. Because Paul quoted it so he must have understood it. And it can split two ways. It's the idea of by your response you bringing judgment on them. That's the Coals of fire. You, you, you putting them down and you bringing judgment on them by your response. Or it could be by your response, you're bringing shame upon them. Cause in some cultures, 
the way people showed shame or when they were shamed, they would dump ashes or sometimes burning ashes upon their head to show their sorrow. Now, coals and ashes are not quite the same, so I don't lean towards that point. But some folks will, will take you there if you read that I can't call them wrong because it's not fully fleshed out. But it's the idea of you pouring something upon them that changes their relation towards you. And it's like God going to reward you for it. So you receive reward for the way that you respond to your enemy. And your enemy is being judged or your enemy is being shamed by the way that you respond to them. We don't go out to repay evil for evil. We treat people by who we are. That's why we do what we do, not because of what they've done. Verse 23 said, The north wind driveth away rain, so doth an angry continent a backbiting tongue. That's deep. So just like the north wind, when the wind comes and it blows the clouds away, it's like that can push the rain out of your area. When somebody backbiting or speaking evil against you or, or talking about you, he says an angry continence can drive that away. Now that don't seem to be too Christian. And it's the idea of basically you willing to show your disapproval in the point where you respond and make it known that no, nah, that's not what it is. And it's this firm or, or this disturbed countenance has the ability to stop somebody from, from talking about you. Because a lot of times, a lot of people, when they speak evil and talk talk bad about you, they they some scary people anyway. And it's just this idea of you being willing to stand up and respond in a manner that let them know that, no, you're serious and you take this serious. And he said that has the ability to drive away a backbiting tongue. And the wisdom for us is to know how to do that and not be that wrathful man and not be that angry man. But to be the person who speaks and say the right thing when it needs to be said. And that's where the wisdom comes in that. How we can respond with that angry continence but still be in full control and not be wrathful or trying to hurt or trying to give evil for evil. You understand what I'm saying? And it's the idea where you can stand up for yourself and you can speak strong, you can speak firmly, and you can let them know I'm not playing. And that can push away the evil. But we got to do this without being angry, without being wrathful, without being vengeful. And that's where the skill come in at. Verse 24 is one of those better. It's better to dwell in the corner of a housetop than with a brawling woman in the wide house. So if you take cut out a little corner on your roof and live there, it's like you do better than to have a big old house, a wide house, than to be living with a woman that love to fight. That's deep. Verse 25, as cold waters to a thirsty soul, so is good news from a far country. So just like having cold water when you're thirsty, hearing good news from afar, it has that same result. It's something that, that, that satisfies you. 26, a righteous man falling down before the wicked is a, as a troubled fountain in a corrupt spring. Now this is one that's sticking in the back of my mind. For multiple reasons. So when you got a righteous man, a man who, 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 who's living right and doing things the way he's supposed to do, it's a him bowing down before the wicked. And that's basically put himself beneath the wicked or willing to, to, to worship the wicked is where it could be translated. So him put himself beneath the wicked 
is like a troubled fountain or a corrupt spring. And so when you got a fountain and something ain't right in it, it got impurities in it, it got something that messes it up, it don't flow the way it's supposed to flow. Like that's the same way it is when you have a righteous man that bow himself down before wicked people, that's willing to compromise, that's willing to put himself in subjection to wickedness. That's a bad thing. And the way it troubles me is because it's something that happens. You see, I see it mainly with with, with Christians and, 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 and people, preachers and pastors, when they get to a place of affluence and national influence. And there's this thing that takes place where you respect these wicked people so much that you pull back on your righteousness. And allow them to lead. It's like that's a corrupt spring. That's something that, that ain't flowing the way it's supposed to flow. Or when you compromise your convictions just to create harmony with these people. That's why I'm, I'm always weary of joining into mass causes. Because when you join in with mass causes, somebody gonna lead the thing. And if we're separate and we're not in agreement, one of us can't be who we truly are. We can't work together without one of us changing. And what he's saying here, if the righteous one is the one who bow down to the wicked, that's a corrupt spring. That's something you you can't get no full satisfaction from that. That's something you can't truly drink of. And it's something we should not do. We don't compromise our righteousness to honor the wicked or allow them to take the lead. We be who we are. Yeah. Verse 27, it is not good to eat much honey. So for men to search their own glory is not glory at all. So if you eat too much honey, that ain't a good thing. Honey is good. Honey is beneficial. Honey is sweet. It's something that could be enjoyed. But to eat too much of it, it ain't good for you. Just like for you to search out your own glory. And it's basically for you to to try to make known or, or try to find out how great you truly are. That's not a good thing. Basically, you you bolstering or searching out your reputation or just trying to establish and and how great you are. Like that ain't no real glory. If you got to make it, if if you got to declare it, you don't have it. If you have to put it on the front, you don't have it. I think about those men who are the man of this house. If you got to go around the house saying that, you are not the man. <laughs> Verse twenty eight. He that hath no rule over his own spirit is like a city that is broken down and without walls. This is one we need to really think about. To have rule over his spirit. What you think that mean? Close. Have no rule. What you think, basically? You've been gone. Has rule over his own spirit. It's all right. Uh uh-uh. uh. Well, I don't know. That's between you and God. This, huh? Uh-uh. Go ahead. What'd you say? You might have been on it. Yeah. Close. If I tell you when I was a kid, I ruled the playground. What am I saying? I controlled it. The only thing that went on is what I let go on. So now he's saying, if you don't have rule over your own spirit, what do you think he's saying? 
Yeah. If you're not the master of your own spirit, so the spirit that's inside of you, if you cannot control it, if you cannot tell it what to do, you're like a city without a wall. Now, what do you think? What's the danger of a city without a wall? Huh? It falls. We got it. We're going to wrestle with it. I want y'all to think about it for a bit to get the full picture because it's one we need to put in our pocket. A city. Just think about the ancient time when you watch the old movies. Which one of the first things they have to do when they go on and when they got their arrows and all this stuff and they're trying to attack a city? What's one of the first things they have to do to truly attack the city? Why couldn't the children of Israel just walk into Jericho? Why? Why? It, 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 it was a protection. And they couldn't just walk in and say, hey, we the children of Israel, God sent us, and now we finna destroy y'all. Something had to happen to the wall first before they can enter in to fight. Knocked down. So if Jericho, if once the walls were torn down on Jericho, Jericho lost part of his defense. There was no protection for it. And they was in jeopardy of being destroyed because their wall was torn down. That was part of the defense of the nation, their wall. That, that was part of their security. And he, the, the metaphor he's given here is if you can't dis- control your own spirit, if you don't have rule over yourself, you are in danger of being destroyed. There is no protection. You are something that is open to attack if you cannot control your spirit. And it is something we need to learn and understand. And it's, we're just talking now. We want to focus on it because we had hints of it all throughout what we've been going through. Go ahead. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. It's acceptable. Uh, that, that's absolutely true. So if you, if, if people can easily sway you in different directions, you don't have any rule over your spirit. You're like a city without walls. Yeah, you, you, you're doing good and we can extend this. What if people can get you to the place where you respond and you can't control what you do? You're going to be, you're in a dangerous position. You don't have rule. So if you can say something to me that can make me lash out. And I can't control how I respond. Uh, there's nothing in me that can allow me to, to move my, my spirit the way it's supposed to go. I'm in a dangerous position. And there's this idea of us having self-control and us being in this position to where we can move our spirit and not our spirit moves us. And where we think and where we utilize this, this would be our emotions. That we're not easily swayed. We're not easily influenced. That what if Miss Maddie can make me mad? And I can't control how I respond. I'm in a dangerous position. And I have no defense. And I'm in a position where I'm about to be defeated. Because things can come upon me that can overwhelm me. And I can't control it. 
So we have to have rule over our own spirit. And the fruit of the spirit that goes with that is what? There you go. <laughs> we have to have that. Even when you upset. Even when somebody did you wrong. Even when you hurt. Okay, I'm telling you, you said it, not me. <laughs> uh huh. <laughs> that's good. That's good. That's very good. And we need to control that and understand that. We can't control people. And we should not try. Master what's going on inside of us. And it's the Spirit of God in us that allow us to master that. <laughs> That's good. Very good. <laughs> Chapter 26. Let's see if we push out a couple more. Say, as snow in summer and as rain in harvest, so honor is not seemly for a fool. That's a pretty surface one. So think about in the middle of the summer and snow start falling. Does that fit? That don't go hand in hand. In the middle of the summer, middle of July, August, you don't expect snow to start falling. And rain in the harvest time. When you out there pulling out the harvest, rain is not the thing that you want to come up because it can affect your ability to harvest the crops. Just like that, so honor is not seemly for a fool. To give honor, to give praise, to give adoration to a foolish man, don't that don't go together. So for a fool to be honored, it's just like it starts snowing in the middle of July. As the bird by wandering, as the swallow by flying, so the curse causeless shall not come. So think about a bird that wandering. It means it's fluttering around. And the swallow, another type of bird, it just continuously fly. So if the bird and the swallow, they're fluttering around and they're flying around. One thing they will not do in that state is sit. Long as they're flying, they're not sitting anywhere. And he says, just like that, so the curse without a cause, or the curse without reason, or the curse without justification, it shall not come. So can't nobody curse you without a cause, and it land upon you, just like the bird won't land won't long as it's flying. It has to stop doing those things in order for it to, to land and then rest. So the curse has to have a reason in order for it to stick. They can't curse you. It's talking about the curse as in the sense of cursing you, putting some evil on you with their words. That's where we come from. That's where we get how we say, don't curse me, because people speaking against you with their words. And that's it's the same idea that's connected there. But here it's talking about real curses coming upon you, uh, people putting evil on you by what they're saying. And that coming to fruition or being manifested in your life. We'll say you ain't have to worry about that if it's causeless. So when they speaking evil against you without reason, it ain't going to rest upon you. You don't have to fear people being able to curse you or bring evil against you with their tongue if you're doing what you're supposed to do. If you don't have a reason to do it, you know, that makes sense. Verse three said, whip for the horse a bridle for the donkey and a rod for the fool's back. 
So if you want to make the, the, the horse move, what you do? You whip it. If you want to pull the donkey along, what you do? When they out there plying, you put the bridle in his mouth and you connect it with the plow and that's how you get him to go. You drag him. If you want to make the fool do what you need him to do, what he's saying? You use the rod. You can't just tell a fool and he be instructed. Just like you got to whip the horse, drag the donkey, you got to beat the fool. <laughs> Verse 4 said, Answer not a fool according to his folly, at least thou be like unto him. So if you got a fool and he's coming at you with foolishness, like don't respond to him according to his foolishness. So don't get engaged with his foolishness. And that least means for fear of. And that let us know this is not a blanket prohibition. This is a warning prohibition. So if you don't want to look like a fool, don't respond to a fool in the midst of his foolishness. So it's possible for you to see the people. Like somebody come at somebody and they out there arguing like them two fools out there in the street. <laughs> and it's because you end up just looking just like the folk that coming after you. So he's saying don't answer a fool according to his folly. Because you might end up looking like the fool. But in verse 6, I mean verse 5, a lot of people say this is a contradiction in the Bible just because they don't understand life and wisdom. Say, answer a fool according to his folly. Least, where am I? Uh, 5. Answer a fool according to his folly. Least he be wise in his own conceit. So one told you don't answer him according to his folly. Now this telling you to answer him according to his folly. But the warning is different. So you watch how you answer the fool because you don't want to look like a fool when you respond to him. So sometimes it's best not to say anything because you might end up looking foolish. But there are times where you have to answer the fool because if you let it go on, the fool might seem wise. So, so he don't be wise in his own eyes. You have to respond. And what a wisdom is, is knowing how and when to use which one. So there's some time where people say some dumb stuff and you just let it go. Like, I'm not even going to entertain that. And there's some times where people say some dumb stuff and just to put, set the record straight, you have to respond. Because, and like I said, a lot of times when you're in a position, like you're the Christian, and, and you're in a place where a whole bunch of fools and heathens are, and somebody get to talking and they, they, they telling the truth about the Bible and tell you how it really is and all that Christian stuff and how it's fake. Sometimes you have to respond, not necessarily to him, but for the cause of those around him who may be influenced and think he know what he's talking about. So you respond so he don't seem wise. But there are other times where you got the folks and he talking crazy. Well, you don't respond and you get engaged because oh, you might end up getting an argument like on the internet and in the chat rooms and sometimes when you get them long things where everybody's coming, sometimes it's best to stay out of that because there's a whole bunch of religious fools and a whole bunch of unreligious fools and you just get lumped in with the rest of them. And it's learning how and when to utilize that. Verse 6 says, He that sendeth the message by the hand of a fool cut it off the feet and drank damage. So if you send a fool to send, carry a message for you. It's like cutting off your feet and drinking or consuming harm, damage, hurt. You're hurting yourself by if you send a fool. Verse 7. The legs of the lame are not equal, 
So is a parable in the mouth of a fool. So there's not congruent strength in, in the legs of the lame. So the folks whose legs are messed up, all of their strength in their legs are not equal. One leg stronger than the other. One work and one don't work. Just like when you put a parable. So you give a fool a parable. You put the lesson in the mouth of a fool. It ain't going to be right. Just like the legs of a lame person. They ain't right. Verse 8. As he that bindeth the stone. Now this is the deep one. As he that bindeth the stone in the sling. So is he that giveth honor to a fool. So if you just like. Binding slung in the sling, that's getting a slingshot ready to shoot. So if you got a slingshot ready to shoot, what's the end result of that? You about to hurt something. You about to damage something, hurt somebody. That's the same thing that happens when you give honor to a fool. If there's a foolish person and you're honoring him and you're praising him and you're making him seem great, hurt could be the outcome of that. That's deep. As a thorn goeth up into the hand of a drunkard, so is a parable in the mouth of a fool. So when a drunk man staggering around and he put his hand on something that cuts him and it pierces him, that's what happened when you put a parable in the mouth of a fool. He's going to hurt somebody. He don't know what he's doing with it. He cannot rightly instruct somebody with it. The great God that formed all things both reward the fool and reward the transgressor. So God going to pay the fool and he going to repay the sinner. Verse 11, as a dog returneth to his vomit, so a fool returned to his folly. And this is something that Peter uses in his letters. So if you got a fool and you remove him from his foolishness, just like a dog can throw up and turn around and lick it. That's what happens when you take foolishness away from a fool. He's going to go right back to it. And that's, that's, that's deep one to think about. <laughs> Seest thou a wise man in his own conceit. So this is a man who see himself as wise. That's what he mean by wise in his own conceit. Wise in his own eyes. So if you see somebody that's wise in their own eyes, more hope is there for a fool than for him. Now that's deep. Because he told us earlier that it's better to run into a bear that's angry and ready to kill somebody than to run into a fool. Fool cannot be instructed. A fool cannot be taught. And what he's saying here. You got more hope for a fool than a person who wise in his own eyes, who see himself as wise. That's deep. That's that, that real deep. Verse 13. The slothful man said, there is a lion in the way. A lion is in the street. It's a lazy man. He has what? Excuses. Does that seem like a legitimate excuse? I wouldn't go outside if it was a lion. <laughs> but it doesn't matter. The result is still the same. Whether you legitimately lazy or you lazy because you don't want to do nothing. It don't matter. You, the work will still not get done. Verse 14. As the door turneth upon his hinges, so just like the door moved, so doth the slothful man upon his bed. He just rolled to the other side. Verse 15. The slothful hideth his hand in his bosom, it grieveth him to bring it to his mouth again. So the slothful man buries his hand. And this one here means that bosom is, is in a cave. Cause we can, so we can take it because it's just a picture of a, of a crevice or opening. So it's like a slothful. You can imagine a slothful man eating and he put his spoon in the bowl then don't bring it back to his mouth. 
Go ahead. Sluggard. Ah, this is part of the thing for you to think about. This is part of the thing for you to meditate on and to understand. Because now the further we get to go, it seems like they've been the same. We just had 12 verses talking about a fool and he's talking about the fool to talk about the lazy man. Is he talking about the same person? That's for you to wrestle with. (laughs) Verse 16. The sluggard is wiser in his own conceit. So in his own eyes. So the, the sluggard, the lazy man, in his own eyes, he is more wise than seven men that can render a reason. And that seven men that can render a reason, that could be better stated as seven men who can explain through experience. So the sluggard, the lazy man, he is wiser in his own eyes. So he can conceive him of himself as being better in wisdom than seven men who has gone through and can explain what they experience or explain what they know. It's just like the idea of Thank you. Our great leader of this house on, on his money nights, he, he talks about this quite often. And it's the idea of broke folks telling you what they know about how to use money and, and to be rich. And they can contradict the people who have done it. Like you can have a list, like here he says seven people. You can line up a list of seven people who have been successful with money. And then you can get your broke cousin or uncle. He, oh man, you ain't got to do all that. All you got to do is. And he figured that he know better than the folks who've done it. And that's what he's saying. The slugger, the lazy man, the one who don't want to do the work. In his own eyes, he wiser than seven people who have went through it, who have experienced it, and they can explain it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but the thing that motivates his response is his laziness. He don't want to do the work. So what they saying don't make sense. I know better than them. Because it don't take all that. Why it don't take all that? Because I'm not finna do all that. <laughs> Very dangerous. And that's why it's better to meet a bear than a fool in his folly. <laughs> we'll pause right here. We'll pause right this one. And pick up back at verse 17. Anybody got any questions? 